Well, we are on the ninth commandment today. The ninth commandment. Short and sweet, but it's not two words like the prior three. It doubles, but still only several words, but packs a whole lot of truth and importance for us. Ninth commandment, you shall not, you shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. Last week, I mentioned that the eighth and the ninth commandments go together. The eighth protects ourselves and our stuff from dishonesty. And the ninth protects our speech from dishonesty. Honesty is a big deal for God. Think for a moment just what a relevant, poignant issue this is for us in our country and in our culture. You know it, you live it every day, you hear it, you watch it. In so many ways, we are a people that is in a crisis for truth and in a crisis of truth speaking. I was able to find uh, an old time magazine edition. I'm trying to work through, uh, I've kept too many magazines. But in this case, it helped me because I found an old time magazine that really stuck in my memory back in 2012. Um, so my wife does want me to get through the magazines. If... So the, the title of the magazine is, Who is Telling the Truth? The Fact Wars. And it reported on the Romney and Obama versions of the truth and their campaigns for the presidency. And the article is titled, Blue Truth and Red Truth. And it said this, uh, it said, the 2012 campaign witnessed a historical increase in fact-checking efforts by the media. Both candidates profess an abiding personal commitment to honesty and fair play, and both run campaigns that have repeatedly and willfully played the American people for fools. This direct contradiction in what they said about themselves and what they were doing. And in the 10 years since, we can't say that's improved. In addition to this, the media itself has become increasingly biased and suspect. You know that. In 2019, AFA Journal reported that in 1972, 72% of Americans had a great deal or a fair amount of trust in the media, whereas in 2017, only 32% did. And they offered three factors that contribute to this decline. The first being is the pursuit of speed. We want fast food news, which will necessarily be less solid. The second is the polarization of our culture. The last 20 years has so has brought a much wider gap between opposing groups, and there's little overlap in their news sources, they say. We know that. The Time Magazine article I mentioned says, we don't collect news to inform us, but to affirm us. The third is the, anonymous, the anonymity of sources. We know that social media outlets increasingly, or social media outlets enable users to say all kinds of things without retribution. And conventional news outlets increasingly admit anonymous sources, which has the same effect. And so all of this is just toxic recipe for fake news, trial by Twitter, 
rage culture, cancel culture, all these things that we face and deal with. Well, in addition to this, we've witnessed big and public and even damaging lies, fraud from high-ranking elected officials or big corporations within the judicial system, from church leaders, from celebrities and sports stars that undermines our trust and it really infuses us with some cynicism. In addition to this, our culture is committed to philosophical pluralism, not just an empirical fact that there are different belief systems, but actually that this is the way it is and that there is no real objective truth especially as it relates to religion and morality. It's just private opinion, subjective belief. It's your truth and my truth. In fact, it's your version of reality and your story in order to get your group more power. That's how truth is viewed in our nation. And so, again, that article, Blue Truth and Red Truth... And as we think about all this, even today, as this all presses in on us, we also admit today that this isn't just a problem out there, right? It's a problem in here. It's not just other people, it's me. One commentator ethicist says this, lying lives deep within us because we have been defiled with lying by the father of lies. See, the very first sin, mankind's great rebellion against God was precipitated by the devil's lie and also by the proneness of mankind to believe a lie. Fallen man is gripped with this great lie, that Romans 1 fundamental lie, which is sin, which is the evil one, that salvation is really found in worshiping the creature instead of the creator. And that really is where it is. That's the great deception in our world. The lie we believe, the lie we tell, the lie we live by. Jesus called the devil a liar and the father of lies, who does not stand for the truth because there is no truth in him, who, when he lies, speaks out of his own character. His character is to lie. And so we have to realize that our fallen nature believes lies, and tells lies. And the devil is actively grooming and discipling us to believe lies and to tell lies. James 3 even says our tongues can be lit on fire by hell itself because that's what he's after with us. So another Time Magazine columnist wrote this. On the one hand, nearly everybody condemns lying. We do, thankfully. But on the other hand, nearly everyone lies every day. Then he asks, how many of the Ten Commandments can be broken so easily and with so little risk of detection, even over the telephone? And so we would be deeply offended if somebody came up to us and said, you're a liar. Deeply offended. And at the same token, we have to admit, I lie. So let's think, three points. What it means, why it's important, and who it points to. What does the ninth commandment mean? Why it's important, who it points to. So what does it mean? Well, the main purpose of the ninth commandment is to protect the integrity of the judicial system. That's its main focus. See, earlier in the Ten Commandments, God forbade murder, adultery, and stealing. 
But how can you safeguard life and marriage and property in society without a reliable legal system? God wanted that. So God, with much emphasis, underscored this in the Ten Commandments. The ancient world didn't have, as you know, forensic evidence or fingerprint evidence. Everything depended upon the eyewitness. It all hung on a credible eyewitness. And so God prohibits an eyewitness from giving false testimony or half-truths or statements that mislead or a misinterpretation of the facts. God charges witnesses with what we say in our court system, tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in what you say and how you say it. Additionally, we see in the Old Testament how important justice and truth are to God in a host of ways. In the court system that God mandated, you have to take two or three witnesses. Other cultures just said one. Think about how much trouble a person can get in with one witness. God said two or three. Also, if a witness was proved to be false, then the sentence the law would have passed on the accused would be applied to the false witness. How grave was an issue to give witness. You put your life in the balance. And furthermore, God also mandated that in a capital offense, the witness against the accused had to be the first to cast the stone. You couldn't just witness and walk away. You had to be there. It was a big deal. And then all the legislation that dealt with uh, solid and honest judges and that one shouldn't take a bribe. It was a big deal to God. Remember the worst Old Testament example of the justice system gone bad. And this is just a terrible example, but you had that wicked king Ahab, you remember, in the northern kingdom of Israel. And he asked Naboth, who had a vineyard next to his, you know, he has a ton of land, old Naboth has one vineyard. He asked Naboth to sell him his vineyard because he just wanted to keep it going. But Naboth refused. And why did he refuse? Because he feared God. Why? Because it's not just a plot of land. It's the guarantee, his family inheritance, that we belong to God. I'm not giving this up. And so Ahab went back to his palace and just started sulking. Jezebel, remember his wicked wife, asked him why. And he tells her why. And she goes, aren't you the king? Quit sulking. I'll get you the plot of land. No problem. And so she sent letters to the elders of the city where Naboth lived to appoint two eyewitnesses to charge Naboth with cursing God and the king. And they do it. The elders of the city do that. So Naboth is accused with two witnesses, stoned to death, and Ahab can take his property. But God so abhorred that, that injustice, that flagrant injustice, that he sent his prophet Elijah. I wouldn't want to be confronted by Elijah. He sent Elijah to the road when Ahab is going to get his property, and Elijah just condemns him resoundingly as he makes his way. But of course we know that this ninth commandment isn't limited to the courtroom. It's not just that. Remember the rule of greater and lesser and the rule of all of Scripture. 
So the greater and lesser says that each of the Ten Commandments is like the top of a mountain, the highest point of a particular sin, but each mountain has long slopes down to the base, meaning there is or are many lesser versions and manifestations of that worst sin. Therefore, we can say the deadliest lie is the one that condemns an innocent man at court, but there are other ways we condemn people at some kind of court. So we have to connect the ninth commandment to all the Bible says about lying. Here are a couple of scripture passages. Hosea rebukes Israel in the words of the Ten Commandments. He says this, There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing and lying and murder and stealing and committing adultery. Therefore, the land mourns. The land mourns. Notice, lying is in the place of bearing false witness. Proverbs 6, 16 and following. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Three of the things God abhors deal with sins of the tongue. So let's think of seven ways, and this is a condensed list, uh, seven ways we can break the ninth commandment. We may lie to get what we want or get out of trouble, right? The first lie I really remember telling was to get out of trouble. Probably a Maybe some of you have done that. I was in elementary school, and I had my pitching wedge, and I was in the house, and I was swinging my pitching wedge, and scooped out a portion of the linoleum floor, and I, to my horror, I saw slab. And so I took a throw rug and just conveniently moved it a few feet, no worse, nobody will know. The only problem is the very day my mother found out. Asked me if I knew anything about it. And I said, I don't know. And I lasted about a day and I couldn't handle it anymore and went and told her, but I was trying to get out of trouble. Joshua 7, Joshua um, Aiken, right, at Jericho. God said, don't take any of the treasure, it's mine. Achan took the treasure. He coveted it and took it and hid it, told his family about it, a big lie. God confronts the nation. He stays in that lie. God judges him. Think of Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira, that scary passage in Acts. When they sell a plot of land, great, they do it for the poor. And they give it to the church. But the only problem is, publicly, they said, we gave all the money to the church, and they really didn't. They kept a lot of it back. And they were going after reputation. They were going after attention. And Peter confronts them, and God judges them severely with death. And everyone, it says in Acts, feared God. And, and we ask, why did they fear God? Well, everyone's looking at Ananias and Sapphira and says, like, you judge them that severely? But, but I'm a liar too. I'm liable to your judgment. 
Well, the focus of the commandments is especially on lies that hurt someone. Notice, you shall not bear witness against your neighbor. So James 3 says, how can you bless God at one moment with your tongue and then curse your neighbor made in God's image? It's that kind of speaking. So second, you and I can judge people rashly and harshly, can't we? And so Proverbs 18, 17 has been an important verse for me because I recognize how much I needed it. Proverbs 18, 17 says, the first person that states his case seems right to you until the second person comes in. And I recognized in me that I was very hasty in, in accepting what somebody says without hearing the whole story. We can judge rashly. It's disobeying the ninth commandment. We can judge harshly. And that's Matthew 7. You know that passage. Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. But we have to judge. We have to judge as a people. But the point is, you judge like one who knows he has a log in his eye, not one that was without. And you recognize your neighbor has a speck. You see, it guards us against a self-righteous judgment, a harsh judgment, as if I don't have sin, as if I don't have feet of clay. We can do that, and it's breaking the ninth commandment. Third, we can gossip and slander a person or listen to gossip and slander. And this is really complex at times. You see, to gossip is to talk about someone in a way that damages his or her reputation with others. And so we can be involved in a scenario, but when we retell it, we twist it or shape it or spin it or select in such a way that we come off well and the other person comes off poorly. Or our gossip can have a lot of truth to it, but it's rarely the whole truth. Or it can be true, but spoken unnecessarily to the wrong person. And so what we have to ask ourselves is, why talk about this to this person? There's the right person, and then there's a the wrong person. It also refers to assuming the worst motives about somebody or being uncharitable. There's an atmosphere around it to really be true. Well, fourth, we can take vows and not keep them. Have you thought about that aspect of the ninth commandment? So we can treat a vow conditionally or carelessly or just as a formality. And so think of your marriage vows. Like to keep a marriage vow is hard work. Um, are you keeping them? We make vows before the church. Are we mindful of the real commitment and responsibility that entails? Or is that just kind of what you do? The ninth commandment is in play. Fifth, we tell a lot of white lies, don't we? Actually, I read an article that says white lies make the world go round. Because it's a real complex situation, too. And it's impossible to work through all this, but... Sometimes it's just a matter of manners and etiquette. And it's understandable and, and, and probably okay. It's just that if somebody asks you when they invite you over for dinner if you want a third dessert, it's probably, you probably just need to say no, you know, even when you want it. If somebody asks you how you're doing and you say I'm doing fine, there's a place for a real conversation. 
In some ways, that's understandable and probably okay, a situation of manners. Other times, however, it's for our convenience or to make ourselves look better. And we really need to think that through. Are we really hurting community or guarding our distance or avoiding real relational work in those sorts of lies? We have to add to this that sometimes withholding the truth, not disclosing information, is necessary to protect a person who's in danger or maybe in times of war. There are times you don't. It doesn't make it not sinful, but telling the truth may be more sinful in certain cases. Sixth, we can fail to speak up for someone when we need to, or we can speak to someone with truth, but in an unloving way. And so Proverbs 31 says, speak for that person who doesn't have a voice. And we can speak up for somebody who just got their reputation tarnished. Uh, Philip Reich in the commentator says, the ninth commandment doesn't mean to say anything you think. As if anything we know to abide by the ninth commandment, we have to utter. That's not what it says. We can't be that person who says, I just tell it like it is. I'm an open book. It means to say the honest thing and in a loving, constructive way. When we need to speak, we speak honestly and we do so in a loving, constructive way. It forbids using truth like a hammer to hurt people or to vent on people. Seventh, we can fail to bear witness to Jesus who is the truth incarnate, or we can be poor witnesses to Jesus, the Savior of sinners by our word, deeds, and attitudes. We are witnesses. We can fail to be that. It's breaking the ninth commandment. So in a positive way, we could say this. The ninth commandment charges us with protecting people's reputation and good name. With edifying the community and with representing God well. That's some beautiful truth right there. All right, so why is this all important? Why is this important? I mean, it's really self-evident, but we could say four quick things. First, we need a reliable legal system. And we need honesty for our society to function. There are times and countries where honesty is broken down so much, business can't operate, government can't operate. Notice, testimony to the true God. He's after our flourishing and after our good. Second, We're to work toward real community, and especially real community in the church. So we're careful about what we say. And we speak to people with whom we have an issue. So we're willing to do the work of relationships. And sometimes that's uncomfortable and difficult and confusing and vulnerable and all that stuff we don't like but we're willing to do it because we want real community. So Matthew 18, we go to that person that offended us. Matthew 6, we feel like somebody is offended by us. We go to that person. Either way, we're going. Ephesians 4.15, we seek to build people up as we speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.25, that putting off 
sin, putting on Christ as it relates to the ninth commandment. So therefore, having put away falsehood, the old man, let each one of you speak the truth with its neighbor, putting on truth. For we are members of one another. We follow Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The idea is that we can just spoil a whole environment like decaying food, or we could be the aroma of grace to season an environment and promote godliness. Third, we're to be witnesses to Jesus crucified and resurrected to the gospel. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You are commissioned witnesses of God. It's a title and a role. It's important. Just like we said about stewardship last week, you are charged with being true witnesses. True witnesses of God and of His grace in this world. So then, how can we witness well of Jesus if we're witnessing so poorly about our neighbor? It can't go together. Don't we undermine what we say about the friend of sinners? If we love the friend of sinners, we'll love sinners. Fourth, it's important because God himself, and this is the most important one, because God himself is truth. God is truth. And therefore, you and I love and cherish the truth. See, the devil is the liar, but God in himself is truth and always speaks the truth. So Kevin DeYoung says it this way, what makes God, God, and not human? One answer is that he doesn't lie ever. It's a distinction between him and us. So Numbers 23, 19 was an important verse for me growing up. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoke it, and shall he not make it good? The idea that I break promises, I say things and don't follow through. But if God makes a promise, he's going to do it, and you can take it to the bank. So that 2 Corinthians 1 says all the promises in Jesus are yes and amen. He speaks the truth, and you can bank on it. It's because God is truth that we value and esteem and cherish the truth. Well, finally, who it promises, who it promises. The ninth commandment promises somebody. The ninth commandment promises you Christ. One commentator says it this way, it promises you and me that Christ will most certainly defend us at the final court of law, God's court, before the throne of judgment. It promises you that Jesus will be the true witness for you before God. Do you see that? There's an ultimate true witness that we need, and this command looks towards. But we ask, if Jesus is a true witness, is that really good news for me? 
knowing what I know about myself, that I am a liar, that I am undone. In fact, I'm such a liar that my biggest lie is to pretend that I'm not as bad as I really am. But you see, the gospel meets us right there. It lets us tell the truth about ourselves. It lets us say that I am a mess, I am a liar, I am fraud. I'm full of deceit. I present myself one way and I'm another way. That's what sin does. Sin is deceit. It's like that famous scene in Scarface. And Tony Montana is drunk in this restaurant and there's all these respectable people around him. And uh, he starts talking. And I can't do his accent. But he goes, to all these people, I always tell the truth, even when I lie. And, and what is he saying there, except that all you folks present yourself like you're good, but you're not good. You do stuff too. I'm presenting myself as evil as I am. I always tell the truth. But you see, the gospel lets you and me own up to what's in our hearts. Own up to one that's in our hearts and not lie, rationalize, deflect, or pretend. We can be honest with ourselves because we have the faithful and true witness who stands before us, before the Father. Such that Romans 8 says, who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? No one can make a charge stick. And the accuser brings a host of charges to you. And it's not like they're false. They're true, but they're only part true. Because they tell you that you're unworthy, but they don't tell you how precious you are before God because you have the true and faithful witness. You see, it's no accident that Jesus went to the cross in part because of the testimony of false witnesses. Listen to Matthew 26. Many false witnesses came forward. How awful to be at the court of your people and they run witness after witness that's just false and lying. And yet Jesus does that in order to pay for our false witness at the cross. The one that's full of grace and truth suffers our death sentence for lying, ultimately for bearing false witness about who God is, and that's why he can be the way, the truth, and the life for us. He accurately reveals the holiness of God. He accurately reveals the depths of our sin. And he abundantly reveals the overflowing love and grace of God towards sinners right there at the cross. He's the faithful witness, your advocate for the Father. And he's paid the debt of your sin. And he's given you all his righteous witnessing on your behalf. That's the gospel. This truth is what sets us free, Jesus says. So that the devil accuses us, we have Christ who's always speaking in our defense every day. If you feel yourself overwhelmed by guilt and shame, it's the evil one speaking because Jesus' voice is different. It's not like you pulled the wool over his eyes. He knew what he was getting into and paid the price for your sin anyway. He knew what it was going to cost. And he stands there as your advocate for the Father. He says, the ninth commandment says, you have a true witness. And I'm here at the right hand of the Father. And my record is your record. 
and your guilt, I owned it and did it. And you're accepted and beloved and welcomed by the Father. Enter and experience joy and gratitude and thanksgiving. You're not going anywhere. You're secure and steadfast with the Father. So do you know this truth today? It's an unbelievable truth, but it's true. It is the truth. Do you see yourself as you are, and do you see yourself as God says you are in Christ? And is this a testimony that you want to bear well before those you live with, those you work with, and before the uttermost parts of the world? And may it be. Amen. Let's stand.